0: The nuclear industry, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and pro-nukers in government all try to convince us that nukes are safe, we have nothing to worry about, and we need nuclear reactors for the energy that powers our modern lifestyle. But when you hear a newsman with the stature and international respect of Walter Cronkite announce on national TV...
1: The world has never known a day quite like today. It faced the considerable uncertainties and dangers of the worst nuclear power plant accident of the atomic age. And the horror tonight is that it could get much worse. The potential is there for the ultimate risk of a meltdown at the Three Mile Island atomic power plant outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
0: You hear something like that, you know that you are in the seat that we all
2: share.
0: is dedicated to the anniversary of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island, just outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Thirty-eight years ago today began a series of events that culminated in a partial core meltdown, radiation releases, and our first public glimpse of the nuclear industry trying to weasel out of its responsibilities. Alt-facts? Or just altered lives? You'll hear from local residents, engineers, a former NRC commissioner from that time, doctors, media reports, and me. Because I was there when it happened. And without it, I wouldn't be here with you right now. Today is Tuesday, March 28, 2017, and here is the Nuclear Hot Seat Three Mile Island Anniversary Special, TMI at thirty-eight. What we forget is the fear. In the wake of Fukushima, we who oppose nuclear power and those in the media who may refer to the nuclear accident that took place at Three Mile Island, but we don't really consider it in any detail. There are undoubtedly listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat who weren't even born then and don't know much about this accident other than the usual litany of, "Okay, it happened, nobody died, big deal. But the truth is much larger, scarier, and more nuanced than that. I can't forget because I was there, literally one mile away, visiting an old friend who had recently moved to the area with her husband. What follows is a montage of voices. Most of this was taken at the time of the accident or within one year of it happening. In the beginning... News of a possible problem down at the end plant sounded like this. An accident in the water cooling system at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, forced the company to call a general emergency and shut down part of the plant for an unspecified period. The accident began at 4 a.m. on Wednesday, March 28, 1979, with failures in the non-nuclear secondary system, followed by a stuck-open valve, which allowed large amounts of nuclear reactor coolant to escape. The mechanical failures were compounded by initial failure of plant operators to recognize the situation as a loss of coolant accident due to inadequate training and what was labeled human factors. Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education is a familiar, supportive presence to those of us in the anti-nuclear movement, but was a nuclear industry insider at the time of Three Mile Island. He has come to be one of the world's experts in exactly what took place from an engineering perspective and in what order the events rolled out. One big question he addresses is, should an evacuation have been ordered? The following is taken from a video on fairwinds.com entitled Three Myths of Three Mile Island. Unfortunately, as Arnie was speaking, there was a marching band playing in the lobby of the hotel just outside of the conference room. So instead of playing the audio, I will read a partial transcript of what he had to say. As to the question, should an evacuation have been ordered? He said, I break that into three segments. Before 7 o'clock, what information was known to the people of Three Mile Island before 7, thirty, eight in the morning, and then around 10, and then around 2 on the first day. Around 7 in the morning, an engineer and his supervisor, using an approved procedure, calculated that the exposure in Goldsboro, the area immediately adjacent to the Three Mile Island facility, might be as high as 10 REMS an hour. Side note, this is an extremely high and dangerous level of radiation exposure. Back to what Arnie said. It might be as high as 10R an hour. Now it was an approved procedure and people worked on it for years and it was actually a TMI Unit 1 procedure. So this was not a new procedure. By the procedure, an evacuation was required. There is no doubt that by the written process that people not in a crisis situation had available to them by 7 to 7.30 in the morning, an evacuation was required. So basically, they went outside the realm in a crisis situation as opposed to letting the procedure govern how you should be working your way through. What they did not tell the state in that 7.30 a.m. phone call is that employees working outside had already begun to receive exposures. There is at least one case of an exposure of 20 millirem to an employee who is out on the grounds before 7.30 in the morning. Side note, 20 millirem is supposed to be the highest yearly exposure that a worker in the atomic industry is allowed to receive. So that was the first missed opportunity to call an evacuation. Arnie continued... Around 10 o'clock, the radiation monitors in the dome of the containment were at lethal levels, thousands of REM an hour, again an indication that fuel is breaking down. Someone took a reactor cooling sample. They opened a little spigot, filled a vial, and normally those vials are very non-radioactive. This was reading 200R an hour. That is lethal in two hours. That is an incredible amount, another indication of fuel failure. Around 10 o'clock in the morning, health physics asked the plant management to evacuate the auxiliary building. So all these things were happening, and yet the state was not told that things were really out of control. The third time an evacuation was called for, according to Arnie Gunderson, is that, and here I quote, at 1220 The NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, asked Three Mile Island, what is the temperature in the core? TMI got back to them shortly thereafter and they said, we don't know. The computer is printing question marks. And then they said, that means that the computer is messed up. In fact, question marks meant that the temperature in the core was over 700 degrees. They did not know how high, but they knew that it was high and it was another indication of a meltdown in progress. Well, a couple of minutes before two, there was an hydrogen explosion. Now the industry will call it a hydrogen burn, but it was a hydrogen explosion. This from a newscast later that day.
3: It roared uh, with a a tremendous uh, roar of releasing steam. I looked out the window, and I saw this uh, huge column going up in the air and roaring.
0: Again, from Arne Gunderson. Plant manager Miller was in the control room at the time, based on affidavits from four reactor operators. They all said Miller knew about it, and the control room shook. Now, when your building starts shaking, I think that is about the last indication you need that you really should let the civilians know to head for the hills. After that, it was unconscionable that an evacuation was not ordered on the first day. The NRC was not informed of this explosion until two days later. So again, no evacuation was called. Instead, everyone was receiving confused reports from the media, which sounded like this.
4: Some radiation escaped into the atmosphere following an accident at a nuclear
5: power plant near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. However, state officials say there is no danger to residents in the area.
3: The plant is operated by
5: Metropolitan Edison Company. A Met Ed official, Blaine Fabian, said there is no danger to area residents.
1: The Nuclear Regulatory Commission here in Washington says radiation has been detected as far away from the site as a mile. A spokesman said
5: control rods have been inserted into the nuclear core to stop the nuclear reaction, but added that it wasn't known if some part of the fuel might have evaporated, melted, or blown out of the core before emergency actions were
0: taken. Faced with this often confusing information, local residents tried to find out on their own what was happening, with very mixed results.
6: We had no concrete information that we could go on. So We had a, a television uh, set in our uh, communication center, and each channel gave us different information. We had a radio, and each station gave us different uh, information. You didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I called, I said, what about radiation? I knew that. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, no radiation was released. You don't have to worry about that. No radiation was released, and no one was injured. I said, great. Turned my radio on to the car, and the first thing the announcer said that radiation was released. I said, I just talked to an official from the plane. That was 11 o'clock in the morning. Four (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon, the same man called me and said, "Bobby said, I'd like to update our conversation that we had at 11 o'clock. I said, are you going to tell me now that radiation was released? He said, yes. I said, well, I guess we're in for uh, a lot of malarkey from you people.
4: So I got home about noontime and I called State College. I knew some people up at State College had been in this thing for years. And I said, all right, tell me, what's going on at TMI? She said, Jane, you're not still there. I said, what do you mean I'm not still here? I'm calling you to find out what's going on. All I found out is there's something going on at TMI, but we don't know what. And she said, you better get out of there. She said, that plant is on its way down to a meltdown. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no, I'm not kidding. You better get the hell out of there. Well, here I was. I had to tell Joan and David and Jerry, he was milking. We had 85 head of cattle after we had the goats, the dogs, the cats. What in the name of God do you do?
0: What do you do? Inside the control room at Three Mile Island, a decision was being made that would have momentous impact upon the health and safety of all who found themselves in proximity to the nuclear reactor. What follows is a recording from a dictaphone that was accidentally or perhaps intentionally, left on, and it recorded what the people we count on in a nuclear accident sound like as they try to figure out what to do. The sound quality is not great, and we will post a transcript of this up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 301. But even with the poor sound quality, listen closely, because the picture it creates is shocking and important.
7: What was the timescale that was all there? Hours. Hours before what?
3: It's operating totally in the blind. I don't have any confidence at all that it will order evacuation, we won't move people a place where they've already gotten a piece of the dose they're going to get into an area where they will
7: get uh, another yeah. piece. You know, they will have had 0.5 of what they were going to get, and now that will move someplace else, get 1.0. Ah, uh, Joe? Yes, sir. I think I me, mean, I've got to call the governor, yes, sir. I do. Uh, I think you've got to talk uh, to him immediately.
8: Do, uh, do it immediately. We're operating almost totally in the blind
0: they admitted they were operating almost totally in the blind. When they decided not to tell people to evacuate on that first day, that was the sound of my life being inalterably changed. Mary Stamos is a longtime resident of Middletown, Pennsylvania. She lived, and still lives, only six and a half air miles from the facility and was directly in the trajectory of the plume though she did not know it at the time
2: I went into the driveway and it was really strange because the air was filled with metal and I didn't know if I was breathing it or tasting it but I just looked around and I couldn't figure out what what was going on and the thing that was really strange it was a beautiful sunny morning and there were no birds when the birds were chirping all over the place the day before and I just wondered you know what was going on but I had no clue
0: While Mary Stamos and her neighbors had no clue as to what was going on at Three Mile Island, neither did the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Peter Bradford was a commissioner at the NRC at that time and had previously worked closely with Ralph Nader. Here are his recollections of that morning from inside the NRC.
3: On the morning of the 28th of March... The commissioners received some level of notification, and I don't remember now just what level it was, but it was not a dramatic notification, simply that something unusual had happened at the plant. If I'm remembering correctly, it was a form of notification that we probably got five or six times a year with regard to events at nuclear plants. It was an indication that something out of the ordinary had happened, but it gave no hint of the severity of the uh, events at Three Mile Island.
0: Quoting Arnie Gunderson regarding the 10 to 10.30 a.m. time frame, the plant manager at the time was a guy named Denny Miller, and here's what he had to say over the next couple of years about what was going on in that time frame. Miller said, They were hot enough that they scared you, and he was talking about the in-core temperature. Well, if you are scared, one would think that an evacuation might be in order. Miller continued, Pretty early we were scared. Radiation was all over the place. Everything was off scale. Arnie said another indication. If you are scared, it's about time to at least tell the civilians that this is the time to move out. But that first day, no warning was given. While I remained blissfully unaware of this, staying in my friend's media home and working on a musical, that did not mean that people in the local community were unaware that there was something very wrong happening down at the end plant, perhaps more than they were being told. Arne Gunderson shared from an email that he only recently received. Since
3: I've been talking about Fukushima, I got an email that brought me to tears. It was a a woman who was in 10th grade at the time of the accident, and she was in chemistry, and they were studying radiation, and they had a Geiger counter hanging out the window for the entire semester. They walk into the class at 10 o'clock on the morning of the accident, and the Geiger counter is pegged. So the teacher goes to the phone as a responsible citizen. He calls Governor Thornburg and tells him, look, I'm in Middleburg. I've got a pegged Geiger counter here. What should I do? And Governor Thornburg's office told this high school teacher, don't do anything. We know all about it. So they kept the kids in school. And and who got evacuated were the kids, some people who worked at the power plant. They all came by and grabbed their kids and got out of there. But the kids that didn't have the inside scoop Wound up staying in middletown and got
0: high exposure as one of the mother's reports
7: I'm standing in the hall while they call my kids over the intercom my son comes running down the hall Mommy, what's the matter? there are only ten kids left in the room they keep calling them over the intercom and they don't come back so I said there was an accident and I tried to make it as mild as I could I'd say I was very hysterical on the inside and trying <laughs> to be very calm and collected on the outside.
0: Mary Stamos talks about how she first found out that there was a real problem down at the end plant.
2: Around 10.30 the morning, of the accident, I got a phone call from my sister-in-law and she worked for an environmental group and there were attorneys there that were members of Three Mile Island Alert. And she said they told her that something had happened at Three Mile Island, the plant was shut down, they had some type of an accident. So I heard about it hours later after the metallic taste. I thought I was far enough away that it wouldn't be a problem. I only learned
0: of the accident at about 5.30 that night on overhearing a comment by people working at a local 7-Eleven-type store. When my friends got home from work, we of course discussed the matter and discussed the possibility of evacuation, but decided against it, labeling everything that was happening a media hype that was being blown totally out of proportion. But because the friends I was staying with did not have a television set, We didn't watch the news that night, and so we missed it as Walter Cronkite, anchor of the CBS Evening News, known and respected as the most trustworthy newsman in America, put the Three Mile Island accident into perspective for the world.
1: Good evening. The world has never known a day quite like today. It faced the considerable uncertainties and dangers of the worst nuclear power plant accident of the atomic age. And the horror tonight is that it could get much worse. It is not an atomic explosion that is feared. The experts say that is impossible. But the specter was raised of perhaps the next most serious kind of nuclear catastrophe, a massive release of radioactivity. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission cited that possibility with an announcement that while it is not likely The potential is there for the ultimate risk of a meltdown at the Three Mile Island Atomic Power Plant outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
0: The following morning, my friends received multiple phone calls from people around the country urging them to get out. But we chose to ignore them and carry on with our lives. That Friday, day two of the accident, March 29th, more information, along with official attempts to downplay it, were making themselves known in the media. ...danger
1: to the public health. Uh, We have absolutely no question about the safety of nuclear plants as a result of this mishap. We
3: do not refer to it as a nuclear accident because it was not that. And uh, as I say, all these systems went into operation as
0: they should have. So when is a nuclear accident not a nuclear accident? Apparently, when the nuclear industry says so. None of the tumult going on within Three Mile Island and the management and the NRC, none of the damage, none of the information that Arnie Gunderson presented on the 30th anniversary of the accident was known to the outside world at that time. Mary Stamos.
2: The evening news had Walter Cronkite on. And I missed all of what he said, but I had heard shortly after that that they were talking about this nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. And then the next morning, my neighbor worked at the hotel near me and she would come by for coffee and we'd sit and talk. And she told me on Thursday morning, the second day of the accident, I mean, this is like 6 a.m. in the morning, that reporters were calling from all over the world to make reservations to stay at the hotel because of the accident. And, you know, we weren't told it was anything serious. The evening newspaper on March 28th said low levels of radiation escape after end plant reactor pump fails. Leak poses no danger to the populace. Later in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon, the Lieutenant Governor goes on television and says that the accident at Three Mile Island told us that there'd be no problem. They would be able to restart in a couple of days. And then later, he comes back on television, like within an hour or so, and he says, we've been misled. We've been lied to. The nuclear accident is more severe than we have been led to believe. We were told to close our doors and windows. When I heard that, That's when I got really scared because I had heard from bomb fallout victims, you know, the history and the story of Utah and Nevada and other nuclear places where they're told to close their doors and windows. If nothing is happening, you can breathe the air, but they told us to close our doors and windows, and that was Thursday afternoon. And I started to really get worried.
0: On the other hand, I wasn't worried at all. That's because I continued to ignore the media, dismissing the little bit I'd heard with an overblown response to that little problem down at the end plant. Of course, it did not stop me from declaring myself as a member of that self-same media as a freelancer who happened to be close to a big story and wanted to capitalize upon it. So the second day of the accident, as the reactor invisibly leaked radioactivity into the environment, I walked outside over a mile into Middletown, while breathing deeply of the Pennsylvania springtime air. I stood around outside interviewing people, waited half an hour on a corner for a bus, then met my friend in Harrisburg for dinner, making our way back by bus, and then walking back to the home. The third day of the accident, Friday, March 30th, I was alone in the house, working on the musical again. Coincidentally, it was entitled Armageddon, that's when I heard a bullhorn going down the street in front of the house, issuing the same warning as was heard at Fukushima. Stay indoors, close your doors and windows, and do not go outside unless you absolutely have to. Here's why
1: at 6.40 this morning and lasted until 9 o'clock. Another unexpected and substantial release of radiation into the atmosphere from reactor number two. It produced a huge cloud of radioactive xenon gas and radiation levels 10 times the amount considered safe for the general public to be exposed to in a full year.
3: The new information is this. The accident sent ionized radiation beaming through the plant's four-foot-thick walls. Consequently, the metal shield that protects the nuclear fuel may have been damaged.
0: Suddenly, everything I had been made afraid of during the Cold War as coming from the Russians was threatening my life from just one mile away, courtesy my own government and the local utility. There was nowhere to run nowhere to hide. The house I was staying in didn't even have a basement for me to hide in. For all I knew, the radiation level was so high that, in effect, I was already dead. Outside Three Mile Island, all was bedlam.
4: It's like your house is on fire, and you only have so many minutes to think, and you don't know which to grab first and you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to go, and you, if you do go, you have to go with the idea that you're never coming back. Now, it's a, one hell of a horrible experience.
6: People were concerned. Uh, you could tell that they were afraid, because a lot of people left town, left their doors wide open, unlocked, just put anything in a car and take off. They had to run on the bank. People needed money to go where they were going, and it was just, it was just a mess.
0: The children left in school were not immune to the trauma.
6: The
1: schools were
6: were in a panic, the kids. A lot of them thought about uh, dying, and they had written their last wills and testament, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade kids.
0: The reporters who had swarmed to Three Mile Island to capture the story and were not immune to its long-term consequences often betrayed their own nervousness As they sorted through the various perspectives and what we've come to call spin, before we knew the concept of alternative facts, the nuclear industry specialized in putting them out.
6: What's it been like here uh, since Wednesday? Conflicting statements from the governor's office, the NRC here, the NRC in Washington, and the company, Metropolitan
1: Edison, that owns the plant. There's been a severe communications problem uh, getting information back to Washington. I was there and... I a... think we're very close to a, a chaotic situation. Part of it, I think, is a lack of credibility of what we're being told. Part of it's the confusion that's coming forth. I think it's inexcusable that we leave a private utility in full
3: command of the situation, uh, being advised and pulled and tugged and fragmented by the structure
0: there. How can you say it's not an accident when radiation is being detected as far away as 16 miles? The, the accident did not occur inside uh, the reactor in the slightest. It was a, uh, a feed pump uh, connected to the turbine outside of
1: the reactor area, and that was a failure of a piece of machinery, and therefore it was an accident of a, with regard to, it wasn't an accident, it was just a failure of a piece of machinery. There's also a bubble in the reactor vessel that means that any change in the hydraulics of the core have to be carefully monitored, so we're looking very carefully at the way Captain intends to get the core to a cold shutdown condition. Uh, there's no relationship between that and what is thought
0: of as a nuclear action. One of the more bald-faced examples of nuclear double-talk and obfuscation. Middletown resident Mary Stamos.
2: The next morning... Around 8.30 or 9.30, all of a sudden, I heard sirens ringing and the church bells were ringing, which I never heard like this, and all of the sirens were ringing in this area. And I turned the TV on. I didn't see anything. Then I turned my radio on, and I hear the newscaster, Ron Drake, talking about having uncontrolled radiation releases from Three Mile Island. And that's when I really started to panic, and a little bit later, the one person, I don't know who it was that we consider him a hero, he turned the sirens on in Harrisburg, and the people started to panic, and they were hearing all the news about what was happening, and then the governor Thornburg was kind of forced into talking about radiation, you know, and the exposure that people might be getting.
4: Based on advice of the chairman of the NRC,
3: and in the interest of taking every precaution for the diagnosis, I am advising those who may be particularly susceptible to the effects of any radiation. That is pregnant women and preschool age children. To leave the area within a five-mile radius of the Three Mile Island facility until further notice.
2: And like I said, I'm six and a half miles away, but I was still worried.
3: The whole idea of being able to evacuate the communities that size is absurd. It's been absurd all along, and it's just
0: governmental and utility nonsense to talk about being able to cope with a situation by evacuation former NRC Commissioner Peter Bradford. The commission
3: did not become aware of the seriousness of the event until Friday morning when we learned that there had been radiation measured by a helicopter flying over the plant site. And no one seemed to have a good explanation of what the source of that radiation was whether it was likely to get worse, whether there were likely to be other releases. So for the first time, the commission had to focus on both notifying the rest of the federal government and formulating a recommendation for the governor of Pennsylvania as to what, if any, level of evacuation he should order. You know, I don't remember much about the debate among the commissioners. I know the consensus that we reached was to recommend the evacuation of pregnant women and children under the age of five from within a five-mile radius.
0: That's what Governor Thornburg announced, and that's what the media covered.
3: We are advising the people on the basis of information, on the basis of a recommendation from the chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that they simply ought to stay indoors as a precautionary measure, you know, until they hear further word from yeah. us. That's simple. Yeah, a lot of people are leaving the Harrisburg area right now. Uh, my own family's on the way to New York City right now to stay with relatives. Uh, a lot of people, the gas stations are flooded, the banks were busy, people were throwing some of their money so they could get out of here.
2: I didn't have a car that morning, so I talked to my neighbor, and she said that um, we could go to her mother's house. So I got my son ready. went to school to get my daughter out of school, and her teacher was really upset because she had children that she couldn't go get until all her children from the school were leaving. So when we got to the school, got my daughter, and then we went to my friend's mother's home, that was about 10 miles And then my husband was still out of town. He worked at a telephone company, and when he tried to call, he couldn't even get through. The phone lines were so jammed. I had the exact same problem trying to call out. There was this weird siren sound
8: on the line that wouldn't let me get through.
2: Oh, wow. What it was
0: like to be alone in the house that I was staying in, with no transportation, no communications... No knowledge of anyone in my surrounding area to ask for help, and not even a basement in which to hide from the radiation, is a story I tell with so much more in my book, Yes, I Glow in the Dark, One Mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and Beyond. I'll tell you more about that at the end. My friends finally did get through to me on the phone, which had been jammed with no lines available. They picked me up, and we evacuated to friends of theirs who lived 150 miles away, which we hoped was far enough. I stayed there for the next 10 days and then flew out, away from Harrisburg, away from Middletown, and Three Mile Island. So I missed having a community of people who, together, were able to process, commiserate, and get angry, much of it in a legal way, at the powers that be at Three Mile Island. But I also missed the worst, Of the follow-up information, Mary Stamos.
2: When I got my daughter ready to go back to school the one morning, um, I was brushing her hair, and she had thick, lovely hair, blondish. And uh, a whole lot of hair came out in the hairbrush, and it kind of freaked me out. I gave my son a little bath, and I saw a whole lot of hair in the tub, which I never had experienced before. And when I looked at his scalp, I could see his scalp, and it wasn't solid hair. And I didn't think a whole lot of it because I thought when radiation caused hair fallout, I thought you would be bald. I didn't know until a couple years later that you could just have a certain degree of hair loss. I didn't know what was going to happen to us in the future if we'd all get cancer or whatever,
0: Other problems noticed and documented by Mary Stamos in the immediate aftermath of Three Mile Island include a sudden growth spurt in some of her plants, as much as four inches in less than a week, mutated flowers branching out into multiples that did not previously exist in nature, a rose that grew out of the middle of another rose, but with no reproductive components visible on either of them, and dandelion leaves that were three feet long. These are all evidence of a process known as fasciation, which are mutations in plant life following exposure to radiation. Fasciation has also been observed at Fukushima and Chernobyl. Changes in animal birth and development were also noted in the first year after Three Mile Island.
4: The cats and the ducks seem to be the most vulnerable, and that's possible that this is occurring because you have a higher reproductive rate it's faster the turnover is faster you know they live in an environment hunt in the environment feed off the environment they bathe themselves so there if there's anything there there it's going to show okay what we encounter is we have at least three male toms right now that are that will not breed they're old enough to breed evidently they're sterile they, they won't breed at all and we encounter a lot of miscarriages in the cats you know, they swell up, look like they're pregnant, and then there's nothing. The litters are very small now, anywhere from one to four is the most you'll see in a litter anymore. And usually, litters that run at least six, but the most we're getting is four. And the kittens are very small. And the development stage is
0: is so slow, it's unbelievable. Animal mutations and animal deaths followed.
2: There was a lady... At one of the first meetings I ever attended, the public NRC meeting, she stood up and asked a question of the NRC, or MedEd, the Metropolitan Edison, the TMI owners. And she wanted to know when they were going to pay her for the, her losses of animals, and she had a dog kennel or a poodle kennel, and her poodles was born with no eyes. It had eye sockets, but no eyes, and she lived right down across the street from Three Mile Island. They paid her every penny that she asked for, but she was not allowed to talk about it.
0: Less easy to track or to prove was the psychological damage done to those who lived through the Three Mile Island accident, most specifically the children.
9: Dr. Michael Gluck, I live essentially in the uh, five-mile radius of Three Mile Island, I have a family of a wife and two children. My wife was pregnant during the accident. I work uh, out of the three hospitals in the Harrisburg area. The most devastating effect that I've seen on this area has been that of really a severe, profound psychological depression. In my own practice, I've seen a number of patients who have come to me with uh, total devastation psychologically after the accident, crying every night, inability to sleep, fear for their children's lives, fear for their children's future and uh, the lack of a secure home a lot of people have had vague complaints of not feeling well being tired all the time just basically being sick to their stomach and uh, these basically date back when you question them uh, many of these people to the accident
6: i talked to uh, one particular doctor in town and he says that he can see regression as far as some of the kids who uh, come to his office Kids who used to come who were very, we'll say, outgoing, those same kids after the accident now have a tendency to hold on to mom a lot. And the kid that used to climb all over the chairs and things and read the books, some of the kids now just don't do that. He wonders if it's the same way at home. But I talked to the uh, NRC people and some people in town, they asked me to get child psychologists in town just to sit down and talk to the kids. Uh, Not one-on-one, lay a kid on a sofa and talk to him, but talk to a whole group of them and explain exactly what's going on down there, how it's going to affect them. They say, well, no, it's guys like you, if you keep your mouth shut, then the kids will forget it. And I said, like hell, they will.
7: Being honest, I don't feel very right about being here.
9: Do you worry about the dosages of radiation that you might have
7: received? Not myself, but that little one crawling under the table and the other one that's into reptiles, amphibians, and football, yes. What kind of thoughts go through your mind about that? Really horrible ones. Huh? I, I guess, like I told you, every time you know we even have a cold around here, I get scared. My children, if they get tired, I get scared. I know a lot of people would say, oh, especially the people from the NRC, would say, oh, mm-hmm. emotional woman. But I frankly don't believe them anymore. I would love to find someone I could believe that would tell me it's all right. But I haven't been able to. And I won't be able to. And according to the President's Commission on the Accident at Three Mile Island, our emotional stress was very limited and, you know, it's over with. (laughs) It isn't over with. No, it isn't. As long as I'm alive.
0: Mary Stamos became and remains involved with Three Mile Island Alert. In the wake of the accident, learning that there had been no epidemiological follow-up to determine the impact of the accident on the health of local residents, she and others from the group went door-to-door in the evacuation area, asking questions about people's health. She was shocked, to learn that more than 50% of the people who lived within a five-mile radius of the nuclear reactors at Three Mile Island had moved away within the past five years, though one can hardly blame them. One final story from Mary.
2: The Nuclear Regulatory Commission and Three Mile Island would come and have all these meetings, and people would talk about their problems, and they kept insisting that radiation wasn't the cause, but they never once said what it would have been. They blamed the health department here and the government, blamed a lot of it on stress. I mean, I never had metallic taste before, but I had stress before. I've never heard
8: of an animal mutating
2: because of stress.
0: We'll have more about the medical follow-up in a moment. As for the legal follow-up to Three Mile Island... As for the legal follow-up to the accident, citizens succeeded in a class action suit against Three Mile Island, winning $25 million in an out-of-court settlement. Part of this money was used to create the TMI Public Health Fund. In 1983, a federal grand jury indicted the public utility, Metropolitan Edison, on criminal charges for the falsification of safety tests prior to the accident but under a plea bargaining agreement, MET-ED pleaded guilty to one count of falsifying records and no contest to six other charges, four of which were subsequently dropped. They agreed to pay a $45,000 fine and set up a $1 million account to help with emergency planning in the areas surrounding the nuclear reactors. Note that $1 million is approximately the profit on one nuclear reactor operating for one day. So it seems that Met Ed got off very cheaply. To bring us up to date on the aftermath of the Three Mile Island nuclear partial meltdown, I spoke with Eric Epstein, the head of Three Mile Island Alert. Note that we recorded this interview last year for the anniversary program. So when Eric talks about the 37th anniversary of Three Mile Island, know that this year, 2017, it's 38. First of all, tell us,
8: what is Three Mile Island Alert, and when was it formed?
5: Three Mile Island Alert is a safe energy organization that was founded in 1977 in response to the uh, construction of Three Mile Island Unit 2, which was a plant involved with the core meltdown in 1979. So we've been around for a significant period of time, almost 40 years, the beginning was rocky. Most people had supported nuclear power vigorously in this country in response to, to uh, Arab oil embargo stagflation and, and a number of reasons. I think people felt nuclear was the answer, but nobody was asking any questions, and that's what we did. Since that time, we have now uh, grown. We cover eight counties. We cover three nuclear power plants, obviously Three Mile Island, Unit 1, which is operating, Three Mile Island, Unit 2, which is not cleaned up. Peach Bottom, 1, 2, and 3, and Susquehanna, 1 and 2. So we've morphed into a uh, safe energy group, a nuclear watchdog, and a voice for the community.
8: How long have you been involved with the group, and what was your involvement at the time that the accident happened?
5: That's a good question. At the time the accident happened, ironically, I was in Los Angeles in college working with a group known as the Alliance for Survival, opposing San Onofre. I was involved beginning in 1982. With the Susquehanna Valley Alliance, which was primarily concerned with preventing the dumping of radioactive water, about 700,000 gallons, into the Susquehanna River. And from 1984 until the current time, I've either been the chairperson or the spokesperson for TMI Alert consistently. So uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know at the time that I was signing up for a, a lifetime commitment, but I'm proud to do it. And I think it's important that our community has continuity and monitors the nuclear power plants in our backyards. We're here 24-7, 365, and as you know, we created a radiation monitoring network. Uh, We've also partnered with Dickinson College to create an archives, and our project for the 35th anniversary of TMI contains some real moving graphic and poignant interviews with folks that survived the accident.
8: I find it highly ironic that you who lived in the area were in California, and I who lived in California was at Three Mile Island when it happened. There's some karmic interchange happening there. You know, to be honest, it
5: was quite an evolution for me growing up. You know, we welcomed TMI. I swam there. You know, people fished there. The jobs were good. Nobody really questioned it, which was a huge mistake. My dad reassured me that it was a safe source of energy. So, you know, the tables turned dramatically on March 28, 1979, when the accident began. And, look, my family didn't respond in a universal way. My dad evacuated, left the area, actually went to Delaware, which wasn't really that far away. My sister was in school and was one of the last kids to be picked up because we didn't really have a plan in place. So a lot of those kids dealt with that terror of not knowing if or when they'd be picked up. My family store stayed open. We had survived three floods, and we thought, hell, we could survive a nuclear accident. But people need to remember that the accident began on March 28th with a core melt, and by March 30th, Friday, kids were in school. It was warm, and that's when the precautionary evacuation took place. So it was indeed ironic that I was in Los Angeles, actually Anaheim at the time, and there's nothing like a nuclear meltdown to enhance your credibility.
8: During the media circus that surrounded the accident's aftermath, What were some of the lies and distortions told by those in power, including MedEd?
5: Right out of the bat, MedEd tried to downplay the accident, and that's been a problem at every marquee nuclear accident, whether it's TMI, Chernobyl, or Fukushima, that the people that caused the accident are responsible for the chain of communication. So if you look at the records and the Udall report, you'll find out real early on that the governor, who was just brand-new, Governor Thornburg had just been elected and didn't know where TMI was, And TMI is 12 miles away from the Capitol, quickly lost faith in the company. And there's a dramatic press conference given by the lieutenant governor, I think, on March 29th, basically saying that, you know, we cannot believe the information we're getting from the company. The second myth that is probably more prevalent and troubling is that nobody died as a result of the accident conservatives and pro-nuclear people used to say that Ted Kennedy's car killed more people than the accident at TMI. And the problem is so much radiation escaped. And if you want to see estimates, I'd encourage people to check out Dr. Jan B.A. or David Lockbaum. Jan B.A. is with the Audubon Society and David Lockbaum is with the Union of Concerned Scientists. And we don't know how much radiation escaped. Why? Because the monitors weren't equipped to pick up the amount that was released. Monitors went off stack filters became clogged, monitors were missing, so we had to go back and do an inventory of radiation released. And what we found, and I think the most definitive health study was done by Dr. Wing, if you look at the 17 Wim plume pathways and you look at the cancer incidents, you will find that TMI had a devastating impact in the community, both in terms of physical health and psychological health. And up until this day, The company's paid out over $100 million in claims for evacuation, economics, health damages, including $1 million award to a family whose child was born with Down syndrome. You know, it's pretty clear that we live with chronic elevated psychological stress. The evidence is overwhelming that we were exposed to radiation. Look, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of accounts.
8: What were some of the early indicators that the health of local residents was being negatively affected by the Three Mile Island accident?
5: Well, unfortunately, since the radiation monitors didn't work or were missing, human beings became essentially the barometer for the amount of radiation that was exposed. So we became human dosimeters, and what people experienced was universal. Uh, metallic taste in the mouth, sunburn, skin, eye irritation, vomiting, diarrhea, all effects of being exposed to radiation – it had a dreadful effect on animals, as most veterinarians in the area testified to. So it was pretty early on that the canary and the coal mine was both animals and human beings, which is absolutely unacceptable. And as time has gone on, and we're 37 years out now, um, we see an exceptionally high rate of thyroid cancer. Penn State at Hershey is still investigating those effects. Unfortunately, the state has given up and the federal government has kicked in the towel. And, As we have complained, Libby, for 37 years, still no nuclear power plant has a health registry or a cancer registry for workers or people who live in the community, and that is unconscionable.
8: You referenced a health study. How long after the accident did health studies begin, and what were some of the problems that researchers
2: faced?
5: The problem was that you have a mobile population here to begin with, it's the capital, so one segment of the population changes every four to eight years depending on who's governor, and the other segment of the population is extremely stable. You know, you have people whose heritage dates back to the Revolutionary War. This is Bible Belt Christian conservative America, and these people who are also bedrock community are the people who went from being pro-nuclear to being skeptical to being thoroughly fed up with the industry. I'm telling you that because the surveys that happened and a definitive study that the industry relies on was done in 1985. 1985, just six years after the accident, no scientist in their right mind would tell you that you can capture radiogenic cancer in six years. That's junk science. Even that study, which was conducted by Dr. Tokihata from the Department of Health, was dismissed by epidemiologists at Penn State and at Harvard. And that wasn't even a study, it was a survey, and that's why I was complaining before about residents not being interviewed, is that they didn't even interview people. They basically did a survey of the area, the lines were fudged, the survey was thrown out, and really the definitive health account occurred in the early 1990s by uh, Dr. Stephen Wing from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And if you reference that, you can see exactly what we argued since the day of the accident. Follow the plumes. Talk to the people, and what you will find is high incidence of radiogenic cancer, and we still have cancer to this day, not to mention the fear of the unknown. People don't know what they were exposed to. Some people made decisions not to raise a family because they didn't want to bequeath mutations, and so it's an accident without an end. Libby, it's what I told people before. I can tell you the exact time the accident began, March 28, 1979, 358. I can't tell you what time it ends because nuclear accidents never end. This is a story where the pallbearers are going to have to stand in place forever.
8: What, if any, action has been taken against NetEd or any other organization that was involved, Babcock and Wilcox, any of the creators of Three Mile Island?
5: Well, everybody sued each other. and Nobody took responsibility. It's the old story. The company sued the NRC. That was thrown out. The Babcock and Wilcox suit was settled out of court. The company that owned the plant was actually a holding company. It was GPU. MedEd, who was the operator, owned 50% of the plant. 25% was owned by Jersey Central Power and & Light, and 25% was owned by Penelec. Just the cruel irony of this is that we really didn't get any electricity from that nuclear power plant. Jersey Central and Power and Light is in New Jersey. We live in central Pennsylvania. Penelec is in Allentown. We live in central Pennsylvania. Penelec is in western Pennsylvania. We live in central Pennsylvania. So the people that had to deal with the accident really never received any of the benefits. Now, there was a fine, and there were criminal convictions, The company no longer exists, and the plant has been sold multiple times since the accident. So essentially, the company not only got away scot-free, but they were bailed out by taxpayers and by the federal government for the defueling. You asked me earlier what was one of the biggest myths. The third biggest myth and probably biggest lie is that TMI2 was cleaned up. At the time of the accident, there was no decommissioning funds. They had no money. They operated for 1 120th of their lifespan cost a billion to build, a billion to defuel, and it'll cost another billion to decommission, and they just don't have enough money. I mean, the the reality is that TMI2 will never be cleaned up, and this is an accident without an ending.
0: So here
8: we are 37 years later. What current actions are taking place regarding Three Mile Island, and what, if anything, can listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat do to help support you in your work?
5: Well, you know, you can visit our websites, obviously, you know, donations help. But if you go to the TMIA website, tmia.com, you'll see that we track three nuclear power plants on a daily basis. We have a record of every incident or problem that's occurred at all three plants. Everything since the day they began up till today. That's for Susquehanna, Peach Bottom, and TMI. We established a radiation monitoring network, and you can go to efmr.org, and you can find... What we promised to give the community has come to fruition, and that's real-time radiation monitoring. We've also distributed 50,000 KI tablets, and we'll continue to provide that service to the community. So you can support us by staying in touch, TMIA for what we do at the nuclear power plants, EFMR for the radiation monitoring. Go to the Dickinson Archives, and we have voluminous records there, including oral histories from year zero and year 25. I think people will find the uh, 35th-Year Project really moving. It's really a graphic novel with interviews from survivors. So what people can do is basically make sure it doesn't happen to them. Stay active. Ask questions. Don't be a victim. You don't have to be a passive victim. You can be the aggressor. And I think what we found is something totally ironic. Thirty-seven years later, alternatives and renewals have supplanted nuclear power. They could leave the community tomorrow, and it would have a minimal economic impact. They've gone from 804 people working at TMI-1 to 525. They've gone from 1,100 people working at TMI-2 to zero. TMI-2 pays no taxes. So what used to be their ace in the hole is gone. Alternatives and renewables have arrived. The economic impact has diminished. And just by staying the course, and I think you and your listeners have probably known this for years, that you know the only thing that matters in this country that's green is money. And nobody in their right mind would invest in a nuclear power plant these days. I understand that some people may seem disaffected by nuclear power, but it affects everybody. If you just look at how nuclear power works from the moment it's mined, milled, transported, split, and then turns into waste, everybody, no matter where you are, you're impacted. So be aware that at some point in time, you're touched by nuclear power production.
8: Eric Epstein, thank you so much for all your years of dedicated work with TMI Alert, and thank you for being my guest on this very special nuclear hot seat.
5: I appreciate your diligence, Libby, and your stick and your tenaciousness, and people need to understand that what you're doing is hard and it's difficult. So people tuning in to Hot Seat could also you know, send you some thank yous or some kudos. That's what I'm doing from Harrisburg today, and I appreciate all your efforts on everybody's behalf.
0: That was Eric Epstein of Three Mile Island Alert. As Eric suggested, a donation to Nuclear Hot Seat will help us keep producing work like this on all things nuclear. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. Here's today's final thought. All nuclear reactors are never safe and need to be shut down now. Join the fight against them so that you don't have your own Three Mile Island experience. Do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. Do it for my kids. The ones I never had because of Three Mile Island. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 28, 2017. Material for this week's special program has been researched and compiled from Fairwinds Energy Education and Arnie Gunderson, Scott Portsline of TMI Alert, Mary Stamos, Peter Bradford, Eric Epstein, a special thanks to filmmaker Robbie Lebser, producer and director of Power's Struggle, The Vermont Yankee Story, and producer of the two-hour audio documentary Voices from Three Mile Island. Robbie kindly gave me permission to excerpt so many of the moving interviews you heard. Thanks also to Myla Reason for her invaluable help with the videos, which will be accessed from our website this is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating. Reminding you that a nuclear accident is never over. That's your nuclear wake-up call. Now don't go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat.
2: Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.